The stockroom is an explicit radio program. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome back to the stockroom. Once again, my lovely returning guest host. I suppose you're a permanent guest host now, are you? At this stage? M yeah, Martin, Martin his, and Davis. What's his rights? Martin, we'll start with you now this time. Who are you? Why should people tune in for today's discussion? Hi, I'm Martin Adelsmith. I'm the writer of the best-selling fantasy series, The Spirals of Danny. The reason you should listen today is because I have not felt so conflicted on a movie in years as i have about solo Ooh, david <clears throat> i am david weiner i am the former editor of famous monsters of filmland magazine i uh worked at entertainment tonight for many many years the tv show and uh i have a site called it came from blog.com and it's uh about sci-fi fantasy and horror and i am a star wars geek through and through which doesn't mean i'm one of the obnoxious ones who demands that my opinion is the most important opinion and i have strong opinions about solo so that's why you should listen to me at least this time around and i don't know why anyone should listen to me because i'm a bit of a fraudster i tout myself as the fear merchant but i'm constantly only talking sci-fi or blockbuster on these discussions <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's been a horror movie discussed to date, so sorry guys, but you do seem to love it, so I'm going to keep uh, pumping them out, just like these blockbusters. So tonight we are discussing, and I suppose David for yourself this afternoon, depending where you're listening, mm -hmm. you will enjoy. We are discussing Solo, a Star Wars story, full title, and yes, it was a divisive one online, lots of drama unfolding uh, we are recording on the 6th of the 6th and yeah the amount of shit unfolding this week in the aftermath just adds to the whole thing but can anything stand on its own two feet anymore we discussed in the last episode the meta marketing of deadpool but in this it's the meta bullshit and man children that are ruining possibly a good movie so we'll start David, what are your but, initial thoughts on Solo? I think you're making a very important point here, is that it's very hard to talk about this movie without talking about the fan reaction. It's, hard, it's getting hard to talk about any Star Wars movie without the fan reaction. These are movies that uh, come with a lot of baggage these days. Um, you can't have a standalone film and watch it and take it for on its own merits anymore, at least where Star Wars is concerned. And so... Uh, prior to the release of anything, Solo, Rogue One, every every moment of drama behind the scenes, you know, was the director canned, you know, sacked, were they, you know, was the entire movie re rewritten or reshot? Um, you know, who is controlling this? Whose idea was it? Um, by the time the movie comes out, people have already made their minds without even seeing it. And uh, there was a whole boycott solo element to this. Where, where I where I stand, I knew that this movie was coming, and I also did not really need it or necessarily want it. Uh, I, I I don't want a Han Solo movie without Harrison Ford, unless you really can pull off a, a casting coup 
and and make it work but they did a solo origin story they found someone that they thought was the ideal casting choice and they made a movie and uh i said why should i not see this i will definitely see it to see if i will enjoy this or not my expectations are low i am hopeful yet after uh all the baggage leading up to this movie and especially the casting i thought to myself well here goes and my response was uh this was an extremely entertaining movie i was surprised uh it definitely had problems it definitely could be nitpicked from a a star wars nerd point of view but overall i thought this was very fun and i was quite exhilarated at, at certain moments you know we'll dive into it but uh there there was a very key element from every Star Wars movie uh, after, you know, inclu including and, and definitely after A New Hope that was missing from this film that made it much more enjoyable for no me. No C-3PO. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was, the, it was the, the Jedi Force mythology. Every Star Wars movie, it's all, about, it's all about family lineage and it's more importantly about the Force and the, the light side and the dark side. This was refreshingly, uh, refreshingly omitted that. And it was just a good old fashioned adventure film. It was a heist film, it was a love story. Uh, it was an underdog and a buddy film. And it was a, it was a film about uh, camaraderie and you know, good old fashioned action adventure. And, and you didn't have to worry about uh, the, the, the politics of the empire really. You know, you didn't have to deal with lightsabers, even though there is a lightsaber in the movie at the tail end, you know, but you don't have to deal with that Jedi mythology, which frankly, to me, as much as it is ingrained in the entire franchise, I realized after watching this movie, it's gotten extremely tedious and I'm tired of it. And I really, really responded to this film because it gave me similar feels as the first film did in that it just was an adventure film and and that's all it wanted it to be and that's all it tried to be and i think it succeeded on that level that was a fantastically, was a fantastically brief, brief um <laughs> summary there <laughs> of your thoughts you're oh that's right it was brief huh brief indeed martin i'm going to turn the mic to yourself are you going to this movie saying to yourself I've got a bad feeling about this. I did go into this movie thinking that I had a bad feeling about this, and I was proved wrong. I would echo a lot of what David said. I think this is a good action heist movie. Uh, in many ways, it reminded me of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It was just nonstop action. It was, you just held on for the ride. It was a great popcorn movie. I think the problem is for me with this is that there's no reason for you to go and see this movie. If you are a Star Wars diehard fan, if you never see this movie, you will miss absolutely nothing. It doesn't add to the Star Wars universe one cent. And I think for me, that's the problem. It, it lacked a little bit of gravitas, a little bit of weight. It's a great movie to watch once, and you will watch it once and you may spend 10, 20 minutes discussing it with your friends and then you'll forget about it. Yeah, I suppose 
Listeners of the show, if you've been listening to the recent episodes, there's a recurring theme of I like to shut my brain off on Wednesdays. I went to see this on Wednesday. It was a went to a theater, theater, cinema, can't even speak. It was redone, 100 years old cinema. It was all, you know, really lovely couches, kicking back. I think the cinema experience was better than the movie, but that is not taking away. I really did enjoy the movie, just as you know sit back relax and watch the show i will agree with martin is saying it didn't really add sweet fuck all to the mythos there's a few little dangly treats we'll call them little oh look you like star wars don't you it's like yeah that's why i'm fucking here (laughs) but i think if if you were to strip away basically any of the star wars uh coat and polish it was just like a competent sci-fi movie and if you were even to strip it down again forget about planets put everything on wheels or a helicopter and it was just like you know and the old bond movie so given that it didn't really need to be made and given all the problems they really should have just held on to this until december because everyone was really salty after last jedi i think we were like spitting Venom. I'm still yep. cleaning up my yeah. PC after that. There's so much shit was <laughs> coming out. Yeah, it is very hard to talk about this just as a standalone these days. Everything is just multimedia now. Everything comes with its own baggage before it's even released. And especially with a franchise. Uh, David, I noticed you're actually wearing a Star Wars t-shirt today. No one can see it. <laughs> but the movie was very fun. But as a Star Wars movie, it was, what's the point? So it's very hard. It's a bit of a dichotomy there for me. I think it's you, you make a good point, uh, and I feel very strongly the same way. I would have been happy to wait a calendar year for another Star Wars movie, if not potentially a year and a half or two years. Um, I think the fact that, that this is coming so quickly on the heels, five to six months after Last Jedi... You know, they're trying to, to, to sort of move it into Marvel territory where Marvel is putting out uh, anything within their universe, you know, two to three times a year at this at this rate, uh, or at least two. And um, they figured they could do it with Star Wars as well, but I think it's just a different animal. But it's all um, Disney, it's like, they're, they're cannibalizing any potential success. Like, they should have stuck with their pretty much trend of three years in a row having... You know, basically Star Wars Christmas and sell yep. those sweet, sweet merch just before Christmas and fill Santi's stocking. What they were doing with a summer release, especially on the heels of The Last Jedi, and then slotting it two or three weeks after Infinity War, which is mm-hmm. raking hand over fist money. Then there was Deadpool. What else is there? There's loads of other blockbusters all lined up for the summer. It was just terrible timing. There's marketing failure, I think. Uh, A release strategy failure. I I think the movie has completely suffered from the hands of fate in terms of the handlers. Mm. Martin, any little two cents there? It's interesting to talk about this in the context of The Last Jedi. The main criticism I have of The Last Jedi was that the tone of the movie was wrong they tried to make it lighthearted and insert these jokes and it just fell on his face and didn't work i felt they fixed that with solo the solo wasn't 
an unnecessarily jokey movie. It wasn't hard and heavy. It didn't need to be. It was some nice quips, some nice jokes, and the pace kept moving. But it was all pretty seamless. And I think they really learned their lessons with The Last Jedi and fixed this in the edit. That said, I don't think we can get away from the final act. And the final act, I just got flat out confused as to what was going on. They were double crossing the double crossers, but then the double crossers double crossed them back. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think we'll I'll caveat this that there's spoilers now coming. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is. I think it's a given at this stage, isn't it? Okay. I didn't understand what Darth Maul was doing in that movie. I had to go away and talk to some friends, dig out my children's uh, Star Wars animation cartoons, mm -hmm. find out why Darth Maul was something in the movie. Because I thought, oh, oh, hang on, is this movie supposed to be before Phantom Menace? Or is it, but then it's got the Empire in it, so it's after... Uh, Revenge of the Sith and for a, a good few hours I was really confused as to the timeline of this movie and only when I went and checked out my children's media that I was like oh right okay I kind of get this now and it was explain it, then like when is it supposed to be said is it a 3.25 yeah, exactly? so I I, th I think it's set, supposed to be set 10 or 11 years after Revenge of the Sith and you have to watch the final season of Star Wars, the Clone Wars animated series, right. where it is revealed that uh, Darth Maul, Maul survived, doesn't it? Yeah, Darth Maul survived being bisected, and he's now got robot legs, and he is hunting the both the Emperor and Obi Wan Kenobi as well. Yes. I, I am not a fan of bringing characters back like this and then to insert him into this movie it, I mean it was a big shock and like the whole cinema gasped well, well they... you, you, if I could jump in Martin you make a very interesting point where you said your children's cartoon yeah but to you it's a children's cartoon that you ultimately did not watch all of it or any of it but your kids did yeah. according to Star Wars canon and timeline it all counts, and I, I, I think, and I think that's what they were catering to. Obviously, mm. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. The thing is, my kids are now seven and four, and I would probably take my seven-year-old along to this movie. I definitely wouldn't take my four-year-old along to this movie. Mm. And the Star Wars Clone Wars animation series is aimed at them. It's entirely age-appropriate for them um i've watched some of them and i find myself checking my emails and checking my facebook and twitter whilst i'm watching them i i, I don't engage with them in perhaps the way that some other uh, adults do and to have darth maul sort of tied in at the end or i think it's season five so by this point you're building up to a hundred episodes it's uh yeah <laughs> you a, gotta do a, your homework exactly exactly I wasn't alone in thinking, where has all this come from? Yeah. Well, Martin, like, we did discuss on that point exactly, actually. It's the fucking multimedia aspect of mm -hmm. everything these days. It was C-3PO yeah. like, with his red arm and the red arm going away. So, 
why now is Darth Maul here when everyone who watched the movies or anyone with a passing interest is hang on, saying, hang on now a second, I thought he was in this movie, which is now 19 years old, 20 years old, never to be seen again. And people are going to be scratching their heads saying, number one, if they're new people, who is that guy? Is this a new antagonist? Because they're young. You're saying you're bringing a seven-year-old. They weren't born, you know, for yeah, eight like, years yeah. after the movie or, or more. Nearly ten years. So where do you go with it? I mean, it was a bit of a stupid cameo because it added nothing to the discussion, I felt. Because well, it, it, I think it, it sets it up for a trilogy. That's what... I felt yeah. it was doing. It was a big hook. It was absolutely bombing, absolutely bombing. Yeah. So again, you can't. But it's not not bombing based on the on the plot twist. No, it's, yeah, but it's bombing on the box office, which really it's a business at the end of the day. Yeah. Are we going to see the completion of the story now? The little plot points they brought in. Obviously, if they can tell the canon story in the cartoons, which is cheaper to produce that's fine but if they decide well no one actually likes solo not even overseas not the chinese market nothing are they going to have to do the solo animated movie just to fill in you, the story i got i i would like to see the next film if they're going to go to tatooine and tangle with jabba the hut i would totally watch that well is I that going like to be the obi-wan movie then on tatooine well, following well, well this this at the tail end of this movie they you know, t uh, Tobias Beckett, Woody Harrelson's, you know, mentor, smuggler character. You know, he says, oh, you know, next thing I'm going to do, there's this gangster jab of the hut on Tatooine. You know, that's going to be my last big score. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I'm going to retire and play whatever that instrument he kept on talking about was. And so because he's he's gone, Han, you know, Han and, and Chewie, that, that's their next destination. And it's mm. pretty much like, let's go to Tatooine. And then. So I would like to see that. You know, it's like like I said, none of these movies need to be made, but the fact of the matter is they are, and they're making them, and they're making spin-offs and franchises and TV shows and series and the main the main storyline and the spin-offs and the Salacious Crumb movie and the you know the Cantina band and what was who was their manager? So <laughs> you know what? Why not? Why yeah, they got not? signed? I, I, I'll see that movie. Well, it, it's interesting that you you may well get it because Alden Einrich he's I understand that he's actually contracted for another two solo movies, be they full solo movies or be it cameos in other anthology movies. So you may well get some version of that. Okay. Well, I suppose we. I'm nearly starting from the ending and working backwards, but we'll go a little bit to the start and what was actually setting up the movie. Now, you you are mentioning the good man, Aaron Reich, and he did a stand-up job, I think, with all mm -hmm. the criticism. He did a very good, essentially, emulation. Certainly fooled me. What do you think? That that's an Im Those are impossible shoes to fill yet they're requiring him to do it. So I think he did a solid job. I thought he was great in the role, but that was also one of the reasons why uh, this movie didn't knock it out of the park for me is because as good and solid and capable and wonderful as he was, for me, he's still not Harrison Ford as Han Solo. So it's just, uh, it's, it's a, you know, you have to sort of watch it on its own merits and kind of squint and pretend 
that it's Han Solo, even though it's not. I mean, if somebody wants to, when this comes out on video, with the technology they have, they can either put, you know, Nick Cage's face on Alden Ehrenreich, or you know, Han, you know, Harrison Ford, a young Harrison Ford. Uh, that's sort of a joke. That is sort of a. There's some technology now that uh, you can Deep you can fake. take someone uh, on a moving figure, you know, uh, in a, in a film or in a video. And and it, it matches it and it moves around and it entirely takes the form of the face of whoever you put it on, and you could do it as a joke. And someone did that with Nicolas Cage. I would be much more engaged with this movie if it was <laughs> Harrison Ford's face on another actor uh, in this entirely entire film. Another element of that uh, is the is the voice. And while I thought Alden was great, his voice was a little disconnecting for me. Um, in terms of Han Solo, deep, anyway, definitely. It's, it's just a, it's deep. just a different pitch, and based on that, it, it, it's a bit of a disconnect to me. So, so yeah, I'll just finish by saying I think he was a wonderful Avatar. He had an impossible task to accomplish, and I think he he did it admirably. And um, I would just do a quick comparison to say Chris Pine as Kirk in the new Star Trek movies. You know, you can't. You know, William Shatner is a one of a kind, uh, and if you're going to replace him, it's, anyone is going to pale in comparison. But after a certain point, you get used to the fact that there's someone else, not doing an imitation, but a characterization of the character that is close enough to how it's written that you go with it. And uh, I did the same with Han Solo. I think that's very fair. I'd agree with a lot of that. The way that I would describe it is that there were certain performances and certain characters who felt like facsimiles of the characters that we know, and that was very much the case with uh, Alden Ironic. How do you pronounce his surname? Ehrenreich. Ehrenreich. Um, that yeah, he was a guy doing an impersonation of Har of Harrison Ford doing an impersonation of Han Solo. That's kind of what it felt like and I felt a lot of these characters were characters that we'd already seen in slightly different guises and in, in particular the droid L337 mm -hmm. I thought I really enjoyed that character but I would have absolutely loved it if we hadn't already had the droid character in Rogue One K2S you know? yep. and it, it was just another facsimile another rehashing and we've seen it already and it's fine because this movie is so fast paced that you just go along for the ride and it's great but it's when you come out of it and you're like hang on a second and I think that's where the problems begin with this mm. well what did you think of, of Alden Ehrenreich's performance what did I think yeah, Richard, sorry. Uh, no, I thought he was brilliant. I, I started the little comment that I found him brilliant. He did the best he could. Uh, I suppose Martin is saying he was doing an impersonation of Harrison Ford playing Han Solo as opposed to playing the character. Because yeah. Harrison Ford is more or less always... He's like the most narrow range of any actor known to man. <laughs> he, he really just plays he, himself. He's these days but his early stuff and even as han solo there's a lot more enthusiasm and, and intonation and varied sort of uh, vocalizations than what he's kind of known for now is sort of this gruff monotone grump yeah i suppose so but the whole movie was about how he became because 
We're going to have to pin Han Solo at about 18, 17 in this movie for it to even make remote sense. Yeah. So he was a young guy. Literally the line, I have a bad feeling about this was changed to, I have a good feeling about this to really show he was a naive guy and he wasn't always the grumpy cunt. <laughs> so he was an optimistic cunt. But the thing was, they ma hammered home the point that he shoots first when he actually shot Beckett. Didn't even give him time to explain. Bang, straight away. So fuck you, George Lucas, with your re edits, you fat cunt. <laughs> Maybe too harsh. Might have to beat that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we had. L337, uh, which I always read as elite, you know, like elite, that's stupid language. Hmm. And then I suppose K2, the next letter in the alphabet is L, L3, 2 to 3, K to L. Was that just a lazy way? That they well, if you, look at, if you look at HAL in 2001, you take each letter, H-A-L, and then you move it over, um, it's I-B-M. Dun, dun, dun. Mind blown. But on on the topic of uh, the leash robot, um, that didn't feel like a droid. Way too human. I enjoyed it for that. I I, I thought the uh, civil rights aspect of that I thought was it was hilarious. It, 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 it was. It, it brought a lot of humor and a lot of uh, levity to it. Well, and also you know talking about you know sexual tension with her her boss. You know I thought yeah, that yeah. was pretty. I thought she had the best, some of the best lines in the yeah. movie. My and I loved how she led that, that robot rebellion while they're trying to, you know, mine get the Kessel goods. But um, my biggest, my other than the the very strong K two S O comparisons, my biggest confusion that took me out of the movie with that was. At first, I thought that's not Gwendolyn Christie, but it sounds just like her. I thought it was Gwendolyn Christie. It's like, huh? No, it wasn't. It was, you know, it was no, another I thought, actor. I, I thought it was. I had to look it up after, and I was like, what? It's not well, her? That's the thing. Is it was confusing, because it was too, sounded like Phasma, Captain Phasma in her helmet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if that was the case, then good for her. You know, they're giving her something else to do than die after, you know, talking for two minutes in each Star Wars movie. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it, it was a bit too close. It was a bit, bit too similar. And I think they should have modulated that with a different... Uh, you know, the actor who ever did it pulled off a great... It was great. Everything was great about it, but it was just too similar and to yeah. uh, what we'd seen before. Before we move on from the droid, are we led to believe that that droid was in the Millennium Falcon for the last 50 years? Absolutely. The, the navigation system, yeah. There's and a moment... Someone someone put out a, a wonderful meme, and you have to see it to really, truly dank, appreciate maybe. the the genius of, of a little moment, but there's a moment where she's trying to, you know, they're sitting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and she, she smacks her head to get things to work properly. And it's a very quick moment that's easy to miss. Um, and someone did a meme where on the left side they show her smacking her head, and then on the right side they show Harrison Ford smacking the bulkhead to get the Millennium Falcon to kick in and do what it's supposed to do, oh. and it's it's brilliant because it, it's as if it's the same character's uh, little uh, personality tick. Okay, it's a stretch, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll accept it into canon lore. 
<laughs> Am I the gatekeeper? I'm not too sure. So then I suppose the love interest. Uh, we got a couple of minutes to get Kira into the scene, get a little bit of uh, tension. Lady Proxima, a giant worm. Is there going to be like underground tunnels that she can run a crime syndicate? Is she just stuck in a room which has UV light ready to kill her at any moment? Please tell me that that wasn't just a cool looking creature that's really dumb. I think it was. <laughs> I think, I she think wasn't that... dumb though. She ran a whole crime syndicate. Well, uh, how? <laughs> that's well, well, her minions, her minions, her... Her don't don't put me in bright light minions uh, ran the show and you know it's like Jabba the Hutt, you know she was a Jabba the Hutt character fair, down to fair. the that is down fair. to the point that she's a worm you know so Jabba can could barely move right yeah, yeah no, no. when, when you make that whole... comparison yeah okay yeah no that does yeah. make sense because he was literally killed by someone tugging a chain around his big fat neck <laughs> which yes he, he he someone gave him a tug in the wrong way and he died. <laughs> And then one of my favorite parts in the whole movie was the gonk cage fighting. That was brilliant. In the uh, where is that in the in the mines? No, it wasn't in the mines. It was where they were meeting Lando. They had the gonk droids battling. Yeah, in the yeah, 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 yeah. That was very that was fun because the gonk droids are the butt of a lot of jokes in the Lego Star Wars games. The dud character is always the gonk droid who can't do anything, can't jump, can't interact. Just a gonk droid that keeps saying. Honk. And uh, <laughs> the fact that they had like cage fighting gong droids, absolutely loved it for some reason. Well, I, th I think that real quickly that speaks to what is wonderful about this movie is, I think when I came into it, I just was like hoping not to be disappointed. That's all I wanted. I said, please don't let me down too much with this film. And I thought it was jam packed with. You know, you're saying it doesn't. You know, uh, you're 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 positioning it as it didn't take this anywhere. You, you know, if you miss it, you're not missing a thing. But I think it really sort of expanded on the Star Wars universe and sort of the the grimier outer reaches. I think it really it really colored in those corners really well with a lot of the the, the gambling and the underground behavior and the, you know the trafficking is is much more interesting. A part of the Star Wars universe that we haven't seen as much, you know, even just you know the way the the the, the Imperial forces police the various planets in the Outer Rim, you know, or whatever you would want to call it, the outer reaches of the galaxy. This is you got a sort of a front row seat on how things work and how 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 it's much more of an iron fisted rule than you would necessarily see in uh, in Star Wars A New Hope and things otherwise. Because though that those movies are about, you know, the, the, the Empire versus the Rebels. So you would expect them to obviously really clamp down. But you don't see much of how the Empire rules with an iron fist in some of these, these planets. And so, yeah, what I'm saying is I think it, it, it really fleshed out a lot, uh, other elements of the Star Wars universe with lots of thought and effort and creativity, and I really responded to that, whether it was, you know, checkpoints or gonk droid fight. Mm. Well, I suppose a question to follow up on that then. Do you think it's a conscious decision that the a Star Wars story saga, we're going to call it, has a much grittier aesthetic and feel? Because I really love the feel of this movie. This is the kind of Star Wars movies I want. The grittier, more low-life stuff. 
The whole thing was about crime syndicates and smuggling, which is very non-Disney, you could say. Like, again, all the blaster shots. Uh, I don't know what the character's name was. The guy with the forearms, when he got shot, you could see his whole shoulder and back was melted open and stuff. It was very vicious. It was the first time you ever saw something like that in a Star Wars movie, what the wound actually does to you. Yeah. There was a little hint of it in Rogue One, you know, little bits of blaster fire, but this was huge mess. And he just unceremoniously died. There was a lot of death earlier on. We had Tandy Newton, who's hot on the heels of Westworld, had a little, basically, five-minute cameo, for lack of a better word. But just to... I know we're jumping all over the place because there is a lot to discuss, but when he signed up, as was first point, were you happy with how they got to his name? <laughs> it was a stretch. It was a stretch, but it broadly worked because it gave an idea of how anonymous life is as an orphan child on the crime-riddled streets. I thought it was okay. I didn't find it to be a rewarding moment. In a movie with plenty of rewarding moments, you know, his first time he gets to sit in the in the Millennium Falcon, first time Chewie's learning how to play hollow, che- hollow chess games. Um, that moment, I thought was okay. I, I thought it felt a little contrived. And I'll tell you another thing, unless I missed something, there, there's a moment where Han's standing in, in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and he says, my dad used to build these, you know? And so even though he was an orphan somehow and lived his life on the streets and, you know, learned to survive that way, he does have a background where he remembers his father enough to know what he did for a living. So you'd think he remembered, he'd remember his last name. So he either has a last name and he just doesn't like it or doesn't want to be associated with it. You know, so I guess he called himself Han and it's, they gave him because he's so low, you know, that that's how he got his moniker. But um, I don't know, it left me with more questions than satisfaction. Yeah, I suppose we don't really know in the universe. I mean, plenty of people here are, are called by their surname. So, you know, like Beckett. So I was like, oh, what's your name? Beckett. Beckett what? Uh, Solo. You know, it could have been something like that. Mm-hmm. We don't really know, but it, it wasn't very rewarding, I felt. But just moving on from that little scene, when they plotted him in to like a full-on raging trench war, I wanted more of that. Where's that movie? Mm-hmm. I want yeah. I want a movie, the Imperial front lines, what they're fighting for, get behind someone in the Empire. Give us some perspective on that. Because that was gritty as fuck. It was unreal. But we never got to see above the fog. There wasn't really any fighting, but it just felt really visceral and real as if it was an actual war, which is really cool. And then yeah, that, that's a whole whole other movie there. The young young Han Solo movie. <laughs> yeah, probably they could do it. Um, full full metal, you know, blaster. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's full metal that's the Wookie, maybe. I think, I think you know, in terms of economy of time and storytelling, they had to decide what story or what story are we really telling. I would have I would have liked a little bit of that, but I think they 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 potentially could have gone more. But then you're getting distracted for the momentum of the of the story, you know. Um, he needs, to, you know, what what's his motivation is to become become a pilot and make money and buy a ship so he could rescue his love, 
That's his, his, his very simple driving motivation. I think it would have been along many other storytelling strands that you could have gone that way where intriguing ones, you know, where he'd have an opportunity, especially if he's learning to be a pilot, to just uh, be be a deserter and try and rescue. You know, there's a whole other movie where he could attempt to and fail or attempt to and succeed to rescue his girlfriend, you yeah. know, by, by way of imperial uh, hardware and vehicles, you know, then it becomes fan fiction. What are we what, what's the real story here? Yeah, learning how to. I definitely yeah. feel yeah. this evening where I know we're struggling enough for time, but there's so much <coughs> I really actually want to say about this movie because the introduction of Jesus, I can't even remember his name, the Wookiee, Chewie, Chewbacca, oh my god, having a little brain fart. The it, itchy. Yeah. I think his name was Itchy. The introduction of him, it took me a couple of seconds to realize, ah, the beast has to be Chewbacca, but from that scene I was like oh, what's the beast gonna be and then I was like oh it's Chewbacca like that was really nice I thought that was <laughs> um, expecting the Rancor yeah you know? I actually thought it was gonna be the Rancor to be honest with you and it was actually Chewbacca so that was like a nice I thought it was just gonna be a throwback to the Rancor but it was actually Chewbacca I didn't know how they were gonna introduce him and that was kind of a cool way to introduce him but is very that really, creative does Chewie does Chewie eat people then and he didn't eat Han. It's pretty much canon well, now that he eats humans. Were there bones down there? But or they were like, he wait, ha he hasn't been fed in weeks. Throw him down oh. in the pit. So, yeah. who knows? But <laughs> they never explicitly mentioned the blood debt. That annoyed me. Was that the blood debt? Why didn't he run away with the other Wookiees later in the rebellion? They never yeah. really sort of explained it. And that's like a big I thing. I was waiting for a Life Day reference from the Star Wars Holiday Special. Why, why didn't they go there? Oh dear. Martin, what do you think? What <laughs> did you think of the whole war scene and the, the Chewbacca entry? I felt it was good, but I don't think I'd want to see more of it in the context of a Solo movie. That, what I mean is that Solo is a pirate and he is a smuggler. And I think that's the movie that we got. I think you could make a war movie, you know, the, the the thin red line with the Star Wars front end on it, but it would have to be with a character that we've not explored or met as yet. Mm. Yeah, so I do just have a little few things just to quickly go through because we probably only have another 15 minutes, I imagine. Why are they forcing the dice so much? They didn't mean anything. Until yeah, what was all that about? The Force. That's a that's awakens. a whole tie-in with with dice from the first film that you can barely, if not at all, see in A New Hope. That's hanging in the Millennium Falcon somewhere. But it was obviously a key point in uh, the Last Jedi, so they really wanted to sort of play that up in this. Yeah, but what annoyed me yeah. with that was they never showed how he got the die, only that he had them, I which actually made it worse for me. I think the point was that he he's always been a character who relies on luck. Mm -hmm. I agree. Because he puts him in the rearview mirror of the speeder he steals. He makes it his own immediately. So anything that... I'm sorry, I'm totally interrupting you, Martin. But no, it's like go, whatever, go, go, go. What, whatever whatever he, he sort of... Whatever he, he ends up absorbing and making his own by way of 
you know, blind luck or skill, it becomes uh, an extension of him and his his luck. And he probably does believe very strongly in, you know, luck getting him through a lot of situations because uh, that's sort of the type of character he is. Right. So that's the sort of embodiment of that. And I, I suppose I'd be kicking myself if we didn't mention Lando Calrissian. What did we think of Donald Gorover's portrayal? Honestly, I again I felt it was a facsimile. It was a, a, a he was doing an imitation of Billy D doing Lando Calrissian. I, I felt it was quite watery, quite thin. David. I liked him. I thought he was fine, but it's the same thing as Alden Ehrenreich. To me, they were just avatars for the real thing. And so you, uh, I, th- I think enjoyment of this movie is, is very crucial on whether or not you buy that these are the younger versions of the character and you just have to play them with different actors. Um, if you can do that and, and swallow that suspension of disbelief, then you can enjoy the movie for what it is. If you can't do it, then you can't do it. And so for me, I think it takes a couple minutes of uh, just sort of going with it. Uh, And then you just go with the story. Uh, So I think he did a fine characterization of Lando. I thought it was, he he had lots of humor and good lines. And one of, you know, going back to those, um, uh, Tobias Tobias Beckett's uh, double cross and double cross and double cross and you couldn't there were so many double crosses you couldn't tell if he was good or bad or just likes to double cross for his own entertainment. I thought the big double cross reveal was that Lando was going to be in on the whole thing for his own reasons, and I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity to sort of play into the whole Empire Strikes Back thing later on. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Lando was going to come out instead of yep. Beckett. Okay. Yep. I was like, oh my god, Lando, that makes so much sense. It's in his character. Because uh-huh. it would have played into the later movies then of like, oh, Lando, you big prick. Like, <laughs> it would have made a lot more sense because the only prickish move is when he just flew off. You know, yeah, which him. was funny, but you know, that's that was like a comic, comic relief moment, really. Missed opportunity, definitely. Yeah. And I suppose then if you're saying it's all about luck and then I suppose Beckett's whole thing was he just enjoyed the game so it's all about games it was all about card games chess games the game of love the game of life Space Cthulhu what's that about? (laughs) Yes! There seems to be a bloody worm or a giant squid hiding in clouds and asteroids all across the galaxy I wouldn't be flying my ship anywhere near these places well, then you're not going to do the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs, are you? That's right. They can't be done in 12 parsecs. Oh, wait, they did. Only if you round down. Yes, exactly. I thought that, that was fun. That that was a great line. That was a great line. Kessel Run, as it stood, was pretty much unspectacular. There was one thing that bugged me. I let it slide once, but they actually mentioned it twice. we got to hit the ship into light speed. First time that's ever mentioned. Did they get it wrong? Is it a misquote? Is it meant to be hyperspace? What was that about? Well, it's it's the same as Luke referring to light to lightsabers as laser swords. I was going to say the exact same fair, thing. Please, fair. yeah. It, you know, we've we've got different script writers now, and the old script writers are gone, and we just have to accept that. Yeah, and no. I think it's also a play on that as well. I think they they um, if you could go back to space sword. You know, or laser sword, right? You know, at God uh, speed, Jesus Almighty. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think at, at a certain point, you know, if you were a writer 
I know Martin does this with his brain. I just know you do it as a writer because I write as well. At a certain point, you're looking at how many times you've written the same word and you say, I can't do that. What else can I do? And you hit your thesaurus or yeah. look for synonyms and you say, you know, I want to convey the same meaning, but differently. So, all right, space, you know, light speed it is and they'll just have to accept it. Yeah, definitely. And then Drayden Voss, I suppose, the main antagonist then, uh, played by Paul Bethany. I initially kept thinking to myself he was like a mini mall to begin with given his uh, scarring flare-ups we'll call them his <laughs> character was fantastic because i really did buy into to, he'd give you two chances and he'd kill you but he also cares he did a very good job at that i think he really sold that for me mm-hmm. well it, it's interesting do you know that paul bettany was originally not in this movie at all it was uh, originally cast as Michael K. Williams uh, was driving Voss, but because he couldn't come back to do the reshoots, they completely cut out and reshot all his parts with Paul Bettany. Right, because I suppose when Maul was revealed, I was actually not surprised for some reason. Even though I didn't expect it, I didn't hear anything about it. It was like, oh, yeah, was your man just a Maul alien with human skin stretched over him and oh i didn't i didn't make that connection at all i just thought he was oh, really? a different creature oh because i was just I like oh because he had the little uh the mini mall daggers really it was like mall mini, mini. Mall. yeah yeah it was mallish, but i didn't i didn't associate the two and then i suppose in terms of proto mall there was the proto rebels then what the hell was that yes. about yeah i struggled with that like was that the well, that initial been... first rebel group ever where does that fit in the timeline? Where does that go in for the kids' cartoons? How does that work? Well, the Star Wars Rebels cartoon, which I'm sure plays in in some way, shape, or form in that whole timeline as well. You know, so there's there's too much to connect to. I, I think they they need arguably the flaw of Star Wars is they feel that there are certain elements that always need to be in there, and so because it's the it's the early days of the rebellion, they need to kind of piece it together. So. I think at the very end of this film, they decided rather than just be the Han Solo, Chewie, Lando story, they had to paint a larger canvas, which is why they throw in this this twist at the end and why they have shades of the rebellion being uh, sort of activated or, or you know, uh, introduced. You know, they ask Solo if he wants to join them and he says, no, it's not for me, you know, so. Yeah. I think uh, as far as Maul's appearance at the end, I appreciated the fact that they wanted to build a larger universe and set up sequels and throw in a big twist. And, you know, I I was fine with that. I liked that. I'm like, oh, okay. They they made it a little larger uh, uh, story going on here. But on the flip side, I also uh, kind of resented the fact that they integrated prequel lore into this. Uh, which I would have rather they did not. Yeah. Yeah, no, because I suppose, like, I always find it funny when they just, you know, ignite the lightsaber. Is that just to give better lighting for the hologram? or uh, Just in work? case you weren't sure that was Maul, they said, let's turn it on. Just yeah, so we all I know. mean, very silly. But I suppose what we were just talking about earlier, when you see the whole world and how the Imperial forces kind of run the world, why is the rebellion going against the Imperials? Why aren't they fighting the crime syndicates? 
they seem to be doing the most trouble. That's the biggest question I probably took away. It's really to do with what the setting at the end of Revenge of the Sith is. So you've got the rise of the Empire. The Republic becomes the Empire. But you've still got the separatist worlds who are wanting to go on their own. And then you've got almost a second set of rebels who become proto-rebels are kicking against the the uh, Emperor and his new powers. Yeah. Real quick, though, the Darth Maul is totally part of a syndicate now. He's not... Yeah, he the has, Crimson I mean, Dawn, actually, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that's sort of what you're setting up, is that the Crimson Dawn is, is you know, perhaps they'll tie Jabba the Hutt in, or they're, you know, they territorial disputes with Jabba and his gang and stuff like that. But yeah. um, it, it was a separate line of of connection that was was not at least in this moment uh, apparently connected to the empire in any way shape or form so we're waiting for the spin-off jabba the hustle the early years <laughs> or something then the disco year <laughs> and then i suppose warwick davis it was great fan service to have him in but is it now canon that dwarfism is its own subspecies was he yeah, some, was he some so alien? Is, yeah. Was he meant to be an alien that he was short? Because they have a load of short aliens and stuff. Was he meant to be some subspecies, alter species? Who knows? In Rogue One, they have a, a dwarfy kind of creature that he played, you know, uh, as part of the resistance, you know, in Rogue One, fighting yeah. on that planet. Um, eh, you know, I don't know. I didn't think twice about it. He He's kind of, he's like the... Um, He's, he's, he's the Star Wars mascot at this point in terms of the quote-unquote the lucky charm of any Star Wars movie. He's got to appear in it in, in some way, shape, or form. Are you saying he's like a leprechaun? I did not say that. You did. Uh, although, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop. <laughs> I love winding you up. No, I'm just basically yes. saying Warwick Davis yeah, yeah, was you know, portrayed as himself but usually all the smaller, I'm not going to say creatures, but in the context of Star Wars, the smaller creatures are all played by dwarves, but it was a dwarf playing a dwarf, or was it a dwarf playing someone that wasn't a dwarf? It doesn't really make I sense to me. I never, it never crossed my mind. It was something that had to cross my own, to be honest, and this is why I'm asking, but you don't seem to have an answer. Do we have any other remarks before we have to close up? I think we got a lot covered there in the time we had. This this turned out to be a much more edge-of-your-seat action thriller type of film, uh, than I, much more than I expected, especially from Ron Howard. Um, I just kind of expected a, kind of a character film with action scenes and a little more humor than usual. Um, and it turned out to be quite a gripping action movie, especially that whole train heist I thought was really fun and exciting. And, uh, you know, the whole Kessel run and everything like that. I agree, you know, the uh, overall sequence and there, there was something kind of missing. and I can't quite put my finger on it. But um, it still had so much going on and so much thought and detail in in this that uh that's why i enjoyed it so much i mean well it's surely definitely easy to pick apart if you really want to i think overall it's a great movie it's a great star wars movie compared to what we've gotten recently 
I, I really enjoyed it. Okay, Martin, close remarks. It is a good movie. It's perhaps not a great Star Wars movie because of the lack of the Force and the uh, lineage that we discussed before. But as a popcorn movie, as a throwaway movie to disengage your brain for two hours, go and see it. Okay, myself, I really enjoyed it. I love what they're doing with a Star Wars story set of movies. I love the aesthetic. I love just a movie, a heist movie, any sort of movie set in that universe it was very competently done i think the winks and nods for the most part hit the right notes it wasn't an out and out star wars movie i think it could have done with a little bit of time should have come out in december but in saying that i still enjoyed it and before i reveal my score i'll just go back to david quickly just to shout out his score out of six I also, out of six, I would say I'd give it about a four out of six. But I want to, before we give our scores out, even though I just did, um, we didn't talk much about the design of the Millennium Falcon. I wanted to say that I really thought it was very clever what they did because they sort of created a brand new product out of it where uh, they cleverly, uh, the, the front of the, you know, Falcon is a very unique looking hunk of junk in the galaxy. Yeah. But, you know, you've got that really interesting front end and the fact that they, they sort of filled that in with, I guess they it was an escape pod. Prior to seeing the film, I thought that was, uh, that was how it hauled, you know, a, ca a cargo. I thought it was like a cargo freighter. Well, it wasn't it sort of, we fit in an escape pod into yeah. that and, area. And so I was a bit disappointed because I thought, well, you know, that's, that's the, how they haul freight. And it's it's a it's a adaptable piece that you pop in and you take off, you know, like you would on on the back of a truck. Oh no, but like know, a pimp my ride, they like retroactively put it in. Do you get me? That it was like a mod. It wasn't yeah, a, it wasn't actually it was... like a fit for Falcon escape pod kind of thing. Well, That's what I. What thought. I'm ultimately saying is, I think I think it was clever that they added something to that piece that had some functionality. Yet I was kind of disappointed because it was it was an escape pod. That they never used they just sort of jettisoned it during the uh the kessel run action and uh it didn't quite serve any purpose other than to make it look more like the millennium falcon we know and love well at least it wasn't an ipod for the first time audio that they were using in the last <laughs> movie martin what's your score out of six my good man it's a three out of six from me this is a perfectly acceptable popcorn movie but adds nothing to the Star Wars mythology. I am going to give it a four. Really enjoyed it. Great popcorn. Love the universe. I think everyone should go out and see it. I hope they make many more, but just give it a rest. Maybe every two years, let it sit, let it marinate, let people think and mull it over and stop all this outrage and let us all cop on and live happily ever after. I'm going to give a four out of six, and that gives us an average. Rounding up, Martin, you're getting ousted this week. <laughs> it's a four out of six in total. Gentlemen, pleasure as always. David, where can we find you online once again? You can find me at uh, itcamefromblog.com, my site, with uh, all the uh, socials you can find at itcamefromblog. And it's uh, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, genre, superheroes, nostalgia, toys and retro fun martin once again how can people find you in your musings 
you can find me on Twitter and on Facebook at Spirals of Danu. You can find my books, the Spirals of Danu fantasy series on Amazon's all good bookshops and some crap ones as well. Superb. Listeners, if there is anything we have missed, anything we should have discussed, drop a line or a comment at either forward slash or at the fear merchant and everything. And once again, we are now on Podbean. So sign up, join, follow, share. That's all I say. David and Martin, thank you once again for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure as always. And I don't know where we're going to be for the next one. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. We'll find something. There's lots of good, fun summer movies coming up. More Marvel coming up too. Ooh, exciting. Well, I will let you go now into the sunset. Off onto the Kessel Run. And (laughs) I'm rambling. Guys, got to wrap it up. May the force be with you. And also with you. Also with you. (laughs) End of line.